Welcome to the WealthStream Podcast. The team at Hightower Great Lakes share their insights and passions for empowering their clients to live their best life. In this energetic podcast, we will take you on a journey to help you navigate your financial future, overcome life's challenges to reach your financial goals, and find the financial clarity you've been searching for. Let's explore the downstream impact of your wealth and what it means to you, your family, and your community to live greater. Hello and welcome to the Wall Stream with Tim Scannell from Hightower Great Lakes. Good morning, Tim. How are you? Eric, I'm doing great. How about yourself? I too am doing great. I'm, I'm awesome. excited about today's topic, even though we were talking before the podcast, and this might not be everybody's cup of tea, but every business owner out there definitely needs to know about this, and, and most business owners definitely want to know about it as well, correct? Yeah. It's an, one of those topics where when I start talking about it, my wonderful wife, Nancy, just kind of drifts off, but... <laughs> You know, when I talk to my clients about it, it's definitely something that's super important. And it's always something that we cover, especially when we talk about long-term succession planning. Yeah, I get it. And uh, my wife would be right there with with Nancy glazing over. Like, oh, Lord, here he goes. (laughs) I talk about things. My wife's just, she nods and smiles and is very encouraging. And then she has no idea what I was talking about for the last 10 minutes. So. I get it, but every business owner, listen up because we're talking about incentive planning and that's very important for you and your business and your employees, obviously. Let's dive in, shall we? Yeah. Um, So, you know, we've talked in the past and almost all the podcasts about the fact that, you know, entrepreneurs to me are the heroes out there and, you know, because they're managing the daily risks and challenges and trying to, you know, please their clients, recruit, hire and retain their employees and what I try to do is be their guide and help them step back and figure out a way to make work optional, figure out a way to create a succession plan long-term. And as we typically do our wealth management planning with them, we cover investment planning, advanced planning, relationship management, and part of the advanced planning topics are what we call wealth enhancement. Mm-hmm. And wealth enhancement is part of the topic today. We're, you know, we're, What we're trying to do is make sure that the business owner gets the maximum value uh, when they are ready to make work optional, when they are ready to sell or you know <clears throat> finalize a succession plan, whether it's selling to internal management, transferring to family, selling to an outsider. Um, this is a key part of their balance sheet, typically, their ability to retire. So we want to enhance it. We want to work with it. And one of the things that we've talked about in previous podcasts, you know, we did a series of podcasts on value drivers. It was number 35 and 36, Mm -hmm. if anyone wants to go back and check it out. And when we talked about value drivers, we were really focusing on, you know, how do we focus on increasing the value of the business so that when you are ready to exit, you get the most, you know, you you, you get what what you deserve, not deserve, but you, you get what the value is. And so one of the things or one of the ways to do that is you need to have a creative or incentive plans for your key employees mm-hmm. because as you can imagine Eric with your business you know when if when you walk away at some point you want to make that business keep going without you right yes and to do that you need key people so today we're going to talk about creating incentive plans to keep those key people to make sure that 
as a result, you're going to enhance the value of your your business. Yeah, and here's the thing, Tim. I, I think that we've come full circle in a lot of ways. Smart business owners, at least, are coming full circle with these ideas and these thoughts because back in the day, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts as well, back in the day, there are pension plans, right? Companies valued employees. They would create pension plans where an employee was incentivized to stay at the company, work hard, do their time. I'm using air quotes on the podcast again. Do their time, and they would be rewarded with this pension, and they would be taken care of for the rest of their life, right? Pensions are gone pretty much across the board. And so I think that smart employers are looking at this exact issue. You know, people career hop all the time now. I think the the stats are people change careers. I mean, not just jobs, careers six times in their lifetime, which is crazy to me as, you know, from what it used to be. And so having these incentives to keep key employees that will be there long term that can continue to, you know, help the company function. That helps everybody out there, every employee, the business owners who maybe their children are getting into the business, which again, we've talked about on previous podcasts. You have key employees working alongside of your children that may take over the business someday, but maybe aren't ready. They're incentivized to stay there, work hard and and continue helping develop that for your kids and possibly your grandkids. I mean, there's so many reasons to do this. Exactly. And, you know, typically when I'm working with the business owner, they're focusing every day all day on inside the business. Yes. And so the starting point is oftentimes where I'm trying to really point out, you know, the pain that they're in, the pain that, that sometimes they don't realize they're in. Mm-hmm. Because as they plan to exit, they need a strong management team to be there to step in and take over. So if a business, if a third party is coming in to buy it, or if you're looking to transition to this management team, you need to make sure you have strong contracts and strong incentives to make sure that this team is in place. And I'll just give you an example when our firm has looked at merging or tucking in or you know acquiring other practices. And oftentimes when we value a practice or another company where we're looking to buy them, uh, one of the key variables is next generation management team. Mm-hmm. Because if, it's a f- if the founder is in their 60s and the founder has all this intellectual capital and history and knowledge, and customer relationships in his or her brain, but they leave, the business could go away. So we want to make sure that there's a, an established team. You know, just another example is that we work with a lot of CPA firms, and that industry specifically, especially in smaller practices, oftentimes are one-person firms, mm-hmm. uh, maybe two. And for whatever reason, I don't see that they focus a lot on next-gen management or bringing in the next team and so when they look to exit, I've actually seen some CPA firms where they just shut the door. You know, and there's really all the, the, the capital, the goodwill of that the practice has built up. They just you know, walk away from it sometimes because they haven't invested the time. Yeah. So it's very important that you have a committed next generation team. And to, to make sure they're committed, we wanted to talk today about incentive planning for them. All right. Sounds good. So the, the first step is... Really, when we meet with a client, we walk through and we look at the flow chart, the organization chart, and we try to help them identify, you know, who those key employees are. It sounds silly, but, you know, you're a business owner also, Eric, and you can imagine not everyone wants to be an owner. Not everyone is qualified or really cares to be an owner. Mm -hmm. So we try to help them with that. Now, I've mentioned many times that we're certainly not 
qualified to do everything. And as a result, we've tried to bring in or create what we call like a virtual family office for our clients where we can bring in resources, bring in people, processes, et cetera, when we don't have those skill sets. And this is one of those areas. So typically when we're working with clients at this first step, looking at you know key employees and trying to identify who they are, we might bring in a consultant you know, that we've interviewed, that we've screened, some processes that maybe some tools like testing, things like that, that will really help the client identify, you know, do I have the team in place or do I need to really go out and identify skill sets and find them? Mm-hmm. You know, I'll just give you an example. When in my career for 30 plus years, there's been probably three or four years intermixed in there where I worked for a company. Other than that, I was working for myself, having my own practice. And there was one point where I first moved to Valparaiso to Indiana. I managed a trust department for Indiana Federal Bank. And I was naive walking into the, the process thinking everybody, certainly everybody, wants to have ownership. Certainly everybody wants incentive planning. And what I determined was really not, especially maybe in the banking industry in particular, but a lot of people really wanted to get paid. They wanted some bonus structure, but they really wanted nothing at all to do with you know, the risks, responsibilities, et cetera, mm-hmm. of running a business. And so that was just an exa- my example in my life where I learned that, boy, I really need to spend a lot of time determining really who is qualified, who wants to do it, and reach out to qualified professionals who can help me with that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's nothing wrong with people that don't want to be owners. They want to get, like you said, they want to get paid. The bonus structure is great. And then they've got other things to do, right? <laughs> but, uh, business owners, <laughs> we know that there's a whole lot more involved, and and it takes a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I'm jealous that mm-hmm. people will go home and not think about it. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, you know, as my wife will tell you, I think about this all the time, the business, and yeah. it's that's not always healthy, but that's just my nature. Mm-hmm. So once you go through that process and you've identified, okay, I, I either have the key people here. And then, you know, we've, we've talked on previous podcasts, too, about building your team. If you go back, I think it was the first couple, I, I, we made a series of four-part podcasts on looking downstream, and one of the focuses was building a team. So if, if, for example, you don't have a CFO, if you don't have an operations person, if you don't have some of the key people, you know, we could also, we have processes involved to help you do that. But but assuming that we've gone through that process and now you you have a team or you've you know you've got the proper pl- people in place there's a few characteristics or features of an incentive plan and again this is a kind of a dry topic with a lot of details so i'm not going to dive deep into all of them but i'll just want to let people know that we have a white paper that covers a lot of this information we have a series of checklists that cover this information and people can always reach out to me or to the, our, our website or to the site for the, the podcast and, and maybe download some of that information. All right. But I'll, I'll briefly just go through you know, some of the key characteristics. First kind of feature of an incentive plan that we typically look at and we talk to clients about is we want to make sure that you know, it's impactful to the employee that you're creating the incentive for. So, for example, uh, when I worked with a consultant Kelly Cruz out of California, she helped us with some of the work on a couple clients. And she's a, kind of an HR, uh, human resources consultant. One of the things she pointed out to us was that really incentives have to be up to maybe 20 or 25% of compensation to really make a significant impact. So if 
if you're getting a base salary for your key person and you know you're offering maybe a five or ten percent bonus opportunity that's great as a way to you know compensate them but if you're really looking for incentives you know one of the things we talk to clients about is that they really have to be impactful and they really have to move the needle for mm-hmm. the person you're trying to influence and typically what I'm told based on you know from other professionals in the industry that it has to be 20 25 percent of compensation to really make an impact so that would be the first key that of how they how they typically are looked so we talk about that the other thing is that you know the standards or the measures have to be very specific so oftentimes we'll work with a client and they have general guidelines or general benchmarks that change periodically sales goals revenue goals Mm -hmm. things like that it has to be very specific has to be measurable and it has to be part of the value driver you know that what drives the value of the company things like profit margins or growth rates things like that but they're very specific as opposed to and and you also want to set up a measuring and reporting process Mm -hmm. the third part really is it really has to tie to this the overall goal of uh, targeting these value drivers so what is that when your net income margins are higher than your competitors, that creates a higher value for your business. Mm-hmm. When your growth rate is higher than your industry, higher than your your local competitors, your national, regional competitors, that increases your value of your business. Your profit margins, that increases the value. Operational, you know, if you have operations that make you more efficient, that increases the value. So. These are what we call value drivers, what drives the value, and they're very specific, and we have a checklist we go through, and we talk about, you know, is this applicable for your industry? Is this applicable for this position? So, for example, profit margin might not be as applicable for somebody who is in sales, right? They're, they're focusing more on top-line revenue growth, mm-hmm. where it might be more of an incentive comp variable for your CFO, you know, who can help maybe drive higher profit margins. So again, we go through this whole, this list of what are the key drivers? What are the key variables? What's the position that the person is in that we're trying to create the incentive for and come up with a plan that's very customized. So another characteristic of the incentive plans are that you have to determine if it's going to be deferred and subject to vesting. So if you're providing an incentive, when we talk about vesting, it's you could probably compare it easily to your 401k. Typically in a 401k, mm-hmm. the money is matched or contributed by the company and then you earn it over you know, 20% a year over five years or some other variation of that. So you have the ability in these incentive plans to also create a vesting schedule, which I, you know, we recommend because it does, you know, I mean, I think one of the things you're trying to do is create incentive that ties them to, you know, deliver on value drivers, but also for them to stay. And that gets to another part, you know, not just vesting, but oftentimes they're used in adds a feature called a golden handcuff. And you might have heard that before. Mm-hmm. But what that really is is, you know, the golden part is the incentive and the handcuffed is if they leave, they don't get it all. They might get some portion of it or mm-hmm. you know, there's some, you know, oftentimes there's even a non-compete attached to it. So the, the, the point is when you creating these incentive plans, you need to think about how to tie them up, how to tie up this key employee so that you know he or she is there to help you deliver the highest value when you're looking to exit. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, who doesn't like golden handcuffs? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's right. It's just a cool name, right? Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> the other part of it too, and, and I do see this happen often. You wouldn't think it does, but I do. So sometimes when I come up and I'm, I'm working with a client and they have an incentive plan, it's not communicated formally in writing. So that's, that's really? the, the fifth characteristic. I'll just give you an example. I worked with the company, and over the last two years, uh, the key person I was I was really trying to help uh, nail down the incentive plan with the owners, and for just a number of reasons, it never got documented, and now the key person's gone. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, at, at some point he just got frustrated that, okay, they're communicating these benefits, they're providing it, but there's no legal documentation that he has to say he owns it right Mm -hmm. so and i think what happens is a lot of times business owners are they're busy they're worried they're working on the business all the time and they don't really uh, you know work with the attorneys or whoever to formally document these plans so again those are the key characteristics of an incentive plan that we try to go through kind of a checklist and one thing i'll just suggest to the listener is that we have a formal white paper that covers this whole topic and it also a series of checklists. So anyone could always reach out to me for more detail, you know, because these are all pretty complicated. I don't want to get into too detail on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. I appreciate you offering that, and I know the audience does too. And we'll give some contact info at the very end of the show. For sure. And then once you've decided to do a plan, uh, set up an incentive plan for the employee, the next big decision you have to think about is, is it going to be equity or cash? So an equity-based plan means you're somehow offering stock ownership in actual stock or phantom stock or some variation, but you need to really focus on, number one, whether you want to, as an owner, provide equity versus cash, but also whether the employee, the key person, perceives a a value for equity versus cash, because oftentimes I think a mistake is made when the owner, you know, is entrepreneurial and thinks everyone else is, but then goes to offer stock when really the person just wants cash, right? Yeah. But I wanted to cover briefly just the equity or stock plans and then also um, the cash plans just so you have the listener has a general understanding. But again, we've got a couple of white papers that we can offer with more detail. All right. So when you talk about stock ownership, an example would be uh, there's a great book um, that I've, I give out a handout to clients. It's called Every Family's Business. And it's a great book because this was a second-generation business owner, family business owner, who wrote it really about the theory and philosophy that his family had about requiring you know, people to pay for ownership. Because this is also a big consideration. Oftentimes, key people don't have the money to buy the stock, right? Yet you want to offer them ownership. I do think it makes sense to require or put it you know, as part of the plan to maybe sell it over time, but also require that the employee come up with some cash. I, you know, it's the old, they, they need to have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. So in, if anyone is looking for a copy of this book, you can also contact me about it or just Google it, but it's a wonderful book that kind of walks through the process of you know, why it makes sense to require cash. So when I work with companies and when we talk about equity plans, one of the things we talk first about is you know, do, do you think your key person has the wherewithal to finance part of it? Can they go to a bank or do they have cash? And if not, you know, we look at some sort of internal installment sale, but we always want to have, if possible, some, you know, some skin in the game by the key person. Mm-hmm. And, and oftentimes, you know, Eric, you know, we've talked about process. We're big fans of process. 
So typically, you know, we schedule to have like an annual meeting with the key people to talk about the valuation every year. And when, when you create these plans, you know, you can reference back to a podcast I did on value drivers. They're a podcast number 34 and 35 and 36, where um, we talk about, you know, the pros and cons of, of some of these plans. But mm-hmm. um, the negatives of offering equity, I'll just, you know, talk about that first is, number one, when you offer equity, you now have a partner. And the partner, you know, in some form or another, typically has access to the books and records, you know, including your salary, your compensation, your perks. And they also typically have some rights to be consulted on major decisions. So, I mean, Eric, you can think of your own business. You know, I I know working with you, you're a bit of a control freak, right? So uh, giving up uh, some of the control (laughs) to a partner is not easy, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing, too, is if you have multiple employees, one of the things you have to think about is, well, if I offer stock to one key person, how is that going to impact, you know, the relationship that he or she has with all their other coworkers? And how are you going to communicate it? Because, you know, as you can imagine, when you're working for, depending on the type of company, your peers are your peers, and then suddenly if they're your owners or superiors, it just becomes a different dynamic, I should yeah. say. So. yeah. You want to really put some thought into that and how you're communicating it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that that can be. I, I never actually thought about that portion of it. Is that it, it can definitely change relationships and depending on who is identified as a key employee compared to somebody else who maybe they work really really hard but they're not what you would consider the, one of the key employees. There could be some jealousy there. There could be some. Yeah, it, it could be a little bit tough. That's something to definitely yeah. think about. So let's assume that you decided. Okay, I'm. I'm going to offer an equity-based plan. I'll just Again, I can't stress enough how much thought you need to put into it. And really, the business owners that I work with, they are concerned about that. They, they do put a lot of thought into it. But mm-hmm. typically, you need to have sufficient time to really determine whether this key person is somebody you want to be partners with, right? Mm-hmm. But like in the example I gave her a few minutes ago, if you wait too long, that person could you know, find green, greener pastures and, and take off because they're looking to be owners, but maybe they don't feel like you're ever going to really offer it. So mm-hmm. there's no hard and fast rule. There's no strict guideline. But all I can say is, you know, owners have gut feels for it. I personally have a, a key person who works with me, uh, Wes Barnes. He's been here for, gosh, eight or nine years now, I think. And we, we have been talking about it you know, him as the, the key succession plan for years. And after five or six years, we started to, you know, formally document it. Now it's formally documented. So it's a process, and it's it's a situation where both the key person and the owners have to really it's, – it's a marriage. You know, I mean, I, you end up seeing your partners more sometimes than your, your spouse or partner. So I can't stress enough that you really need to walk into equity incentives, stock incentives, very, very carefully. Yeah. Sounds like it. Um, some of the other things you just need to side things to consider is, you know, some of these plans might impact your 401k plan, the different vesting or the mm. suddenly now you have an owner and that owner becomes part of the highly compensated group. So the testing is different. So we need to get the 401k managers or, you know, uh, uh, administrators involved. It also affects, you know, like what kind of stock is it voting or non-voting are you going to award? There's a whole checklist of things. You know, when are payments going to be made? Is it 
Are they going to the bank? Are you helping them? Are you collateralizing? So it's super, super complicated. There's so much more involved with equity than stock. But again, I'll just reference that we have that white paper in the checklist where we walk through the clients, not we walk them through it not just up front, but typically we have annual meetings to review with the key people as well as the employees. All um, right, sounds good. So that's the equity-based plans. And what I find is that, like I mentioned, those really have to be walked into very carefully. Cash basis plans are, are I see more common for rewarding your key people where maybe you're not necessarily sure that they want to be partners or you want them to be partners long term. The most common type of cash basis plan a lot of listeners might have heard before is they call it non-qualified deferred compensation plans. And it's typically, it's the most common, it's the most effective, and it looks just like a like a defined benefit or a contribution plan. So my mom is a retired a school teacher from Chicago, and she has what they call a defined benefit pension plan. So when she retired, based on years of service, complicated formulas, she gets a certain monthly income for life, and that income increases you know, with the inflation, cost of living increases. So that would be a defined benefit. And we can design a cash-based non-qualified deferred comp plan in that method also. Or it can be a defined contribution like a 401k where we're saying, okay, we're going to contribute a certain amount of money based on value drivers or your compensation or whatever you agree to. You set up vesting schedules. You might have the golden handcuffs like we talked about or forfeitures. But the money goes into a pool, and it's in the you know managed for the particular key employee, just like a 401k would be, and in that, so it can be designed either way. But in both instances, like I said, we typically have vesting, golden handcuffs, plans for forfeiture, things like that. Got it. Um, and then the ones you don't see as often, they are cash basis also, is there's something called stock appreciation rights or phantom stock plans. So years ago, we set up a plan like this for a bank. Uh, there was officers and directors of a bank, and they wanted to participate in the growth of the stock, but the, the bank didn't necessarily want to issue more shares. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they created a retirement plan. It was more like my mom's uh, pension plan that I mentioned, but the value of the benefit you know, on the back end were, was based on tied to the stock itself. So th- this was called like a phantom stock plan. So these are super complicated with a lot of tax implications. But the point is, if you wanted to give them somebody the equity incentive, you know, as a stockholder, but didn't want to give them the actual stock, you can set up a cash basis plan in the form of a phantom stock or stock appreciation right plan. So again, that's probably way too much information. But I'm just trying to highlight some of the key differences and, and more importantly, the key considerations that everyone should be focused on when they're considering creating incentives so that everybody's on board to create the value, uh, focusing on the value drivers to create the greatest value on the back end when you sell your business. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's all about that final piece, right? The sale. What, what are you going to do to make this company as secure as possible for the best value for yourself or when you're ready to sell. So I think those are all things to consider. And I know I talked about a lot of specifics, but really when people ask me, you know, what is incentive planning about or how do I get involved in that? My answer is typically a discovery meeting where I just ask a lot of questions and answers typically make themselves known. And what I mean by that is 
the business owner typically has a goal in mind. They typically have a kind of an outline or a format, but maybe they just don't know how to do it. So by me just spending an hour, 90 minutes, asking a series of questions, going through the checklists, oftentimes a customized plan based on the owner's goals, vision, mission comes out, and then it becomes easy to implement. So I really look at myself as a guide. I, you know, I try to guide the process to draw out the information that they need to create these plans to get the maximum value. And, and the only final point I'll make is we've talked in, like there's a podcast, I think number 10, we've, we've got a series of podcasts on being a fiduciary and I'm, we're in the process of preparing a video related to that also. When you work with a non-fiduciary advisor with one solution, I just think you, they come up with a limited list of questions, right? So, you know, we've talked in the past about our planning process and our questions are, we look at the whole gamut, and I think we come up with maybe better results than maybe a, a non-fiduciary would. Got it. All right. Well, we, we promised people some contact information in case they had questions and they wanted to reach out. Tim, can you let them know how to get a hold of you? Yeah, you can check us out at our website at HightowerGreatLakes.com, and we have a lot of resources there. Or you can always reach out to me directly at tscannell at HightowerAdvisors.com or call me at 219-246-5370. Perfect. Thank you, Tim, so much for your time today. This is great, great stuff today. Thank you. You bet. And the last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the WealthStream podcast with Tim Scannell. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Tim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Hightower Great Lakes, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the WealthStream podcast. We hope you gained some valuable insight that you can apply to your life and share with others. Please don't forget to subscribe below to be notified when new episodes become available. And don't forget to live greater. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Great Lakes. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Great Lakes is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. 